The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. At times, it seems like when you work on your professional career, your personal life seems to fall behind. Then, when you work on improving your personal obligations, the professional part of your life begins to suffer. Is there any way to keep them both humming along at a successful pace? Welcome to Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson. We'll take the guesswork out of which part of you is more important and show you the success stories of others that can help you realize that you can manage it all. Now, here is your host, Leah Mattinson. Well, hello and happy day to you all. I am so thrilled you can be here with us today navigating this great adventure we call life. As you listen to the show today, I'd just like you to again ask yourself, who is it that I am right now and who is it that I want to be? As always, I'm joined by my magnificent co-host, Dr. Howard Rankin, former psychologist and now author of many self-help books, including I Think, Therefore I Am Wrong. Welcome, Howard. Hey, good to be with you again, Leah. Looking forward very much to today's guest. Fantastic. And joining us, talking about our guest today, is our special guest and TED Talk superstar, Corey Poirier. Corey is an award-winning keynote speaker who has interviewed over 3,400 superstars. He dissects these industry leaders of the most successful people and checks out their to-dos and their not-to-dos and shares his knowledge with the world on his radio show, called um, Passionate Communication. Welcome, Corey, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Leah. I am uh, I'm very excited to be here today. Wonderful. As, and as normal, we start out the show by finding out who you are and, and uh, what you're up to in your life today and find out a little bit about your, um, your past. So tell us about your journey. Where did things start for you, Corey? I, I guess if I if I kind of think journey in terms of what made me, I guess, who I am today in terms of, I guess, at the core, I was raised by a single mother, and I often, I guess, credit her for some of the life lessons that I was able to learn early in life. And so I grew up in a small little town raised by that single mother, and where it kind of went from there is that I... I sort of made the shift fairly early on in life to the world of entrepreneurship. And then I uh, continued down that path for, I guess, for a long enough time to realize that I didn't want to finish, I, I guess, my, my career without going into the corporate world. So, you know, I didn't want to go be an entrepreneur without understanding how the corporate world worked because I didn't think I'd be as, I guess, as effective as an entrepreneur if I didn't have an understanding of that world. So I spent 10 years in the, the corporate world uh, working for Toshiba Canada and Konica Minolta. So uh, you know, first a Fortune 500 company and then a Global 1000 company, again, about 10 years. So I got to learn a lot about the inner workings of the corporate world and then made my way back to the entrepreneurial world and journey and 
I kind of decided after I, I guess I had spent um, probably about four years in the entrepreneurial world that I wanted to test out my waters as a speaker and entered the uh, the field of and world of public speaking, which, in fact, I didn't even know was an option uh, until that point. I didn't know that anybody was actually making a living or, or working regularly as a speaker as their sole career. But once I learned about that, I I decided that I wanted some of it. So, And I realized how big of an impact you could have if you went into that world. So I, I jumped into the world of public speaking and then... And then everything sort of evolved from there. The radio show came from that. I had a, a business publication that kind of evolved from my speaking career. Uh, I, I did uh, some stand-up comedy, which was kind of aligned with my speaking career so around the same time. But it all seemed to build around that speaking side of my life. So that's, I guess that's sort of a, a mini journey, a single mother, small town, to uh, the world of uh, speaking, which is where I spend so much of my time today. Yeah, that's great, Corey. One of the things as you're talking there, I'm interested in how people, you know, find their passion. In retrospect, was there any element of that before you even knew that there was a public speaking career? Were you were you somebody who liked to educate? Were you did you like to communicate? Was there any thread of that before you were even aware of it? Yeah, I I I guess probably when I got into the uh, into stand up comedy. I mean, it was. I'm going to say literally about six months to a year before I actually discovered this world of speaking and got into the, just the start of getting into the world of speaking. So I was, I was performing stand-up before that. And so I guess, Howard, where I seen that journey into my passion start was that I lived about 22 years without discovering my passion and without even having, I'm going to say, a whole lot of passion in my life. And once I discovered this world of stand-up comedy, people at the office would say, you seem to have a little jump in your step. Did you meet somebody? Uh, did you fall in love? And I, and I kind of said, well, I sort of fell in love, uh, but not with the person. And so I realized and recognized that there had to be some of my passion there. There was this little fire in my belly that was starting, but it certainly wasn't a big flame. It was just the starts of it. And so I guess, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, some people, they say, discover their passion right from the jump, right when they're either born or, or very early on. I definitely didn't discover it in the first part of my life. You know, I guess... I'm about twice that age now, so I guess I discovered it halfway through my life. And the, the stand-up was definitely, I'm going to say maybe the, the glimpse or the red flag that I was close to my passion area. And then I started teaching a sales program, that, and it was kind of appropriate, I'd say, I had to sell a college on allowing me to teach a sales program. So they had never put one on before, so I had to sell them on it. And they finally decided to put the program on. So I started teaching sales at this college, and at the same time, I was performing in comedy clubs, and that's when I discovered this world of speaking. So I guess I did have that inclination, but it, it was only relatively, I'm going to say, shortly before I actually discovered it. So were you, I'm just doing the math, <laughs> so were you around like early 20s then when you started the your, your uh, sales course teaching at a college and your uh, uh, comedic venture? Is that about right? Yeah. It is, and when I said halfway through, I guess I was maybe overestimating a little bit. It was about, I believe, 25, if I have my math correct. I was about 25 whenever I, the first time I stepped on the stand-up stage, which was the same year I started teaching that program at the college. So I was a little over, I was, I guess I was in my mid-20s. Right, because takes, it takes a lot of courage to do, to do both of those things. And so I want for our listeners to be able to kind of get an idea 
Um, some people do stuff when they're 18. Some people do that not until they're 40. Um, like Louise Hayes' first book didn't come out. I don't think she wrote You Can Heal Your Life until she was about 60. So uh, it's just a good frame of reference for our listeners to be able to go, oh, you mean I could start a comic uh, career at 25 years old, but you can also start one at 40. Um, uh, so that's why I just want you to sh- wanted you to share that. So thank you. I <laughs> hope we didn't give away too much of your age there. No worries at all. And, and maybe I'll add in too, uh, Leah, is something that's important to know because I, I love that you shared that and mentioned that. Because I, I've heard a lot of people in my life and career, two things. One, say, you know, I can't achieve that because I didn't have this beginning or that beginning. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole story that I'm happy to talk about the fact that you don't need, it, it doesn't really matter where you start. But secondly, what you mentioned about age, I, I used to hear so often that people would kind of look at sort of middle age, like they, they were on their way down in their career, which I think was almost absurd, but also thinking that if you didn't start early enough on, there was no point starting in the first place. And we've <laughs> had people on our show like Jack Canfield, who launched Chicken Soup for the Soul series with mm-hmm. Mark Victor Hansen at 48 years of age. Mm-hmm. You know, that's an age where, uh, you know, he launched what is arguably, and maybe not arguably, the, the largest nonfiction book series of its kind, and he was almost 50. And you can go to Colonel Sanders, who didn't open KFC until he was 65. So, but I mean, at the same time, what I wanted to mention is that I didn't read my first book until I was 27 years of age. So, you know, you don't have to start at the, that proposed timeline that people in society might have you believe. You know, I, you know, I think it's a really good point. And as somebody who has um, started a completely different career, you know, at a fairly advanced age, I'd absolutely agree with that. Um, you have spoken to a lot of very successful people. In terms of when they came to realize their passion or their idea that was successful or develop their, their, their talents, have you got a sense of you know that, that spread? Is it people have worked away at a career and it's finally come to fruition or have they changed midstream and done something and found success? I would say it's a bit of both. So I've certainly run into people that discovered their passion or their purpose or their path at, let's say, late teens, early 20s, more often, I would say, in their 20s. But then at the same time, I would say it's, it's pretty probably it's pretty safe to say there's an equal split of people that we've, we've interviewed who didn't really start this major journey until 30s. Uh, and, and then, like I said, many, that would be 50 and 60. But certainly, I would say the vast majority would be, if I think of it, think it through right now, top of my head, the vast majority would probably... 30s to 40s at the youngest, and then maybe, you know, a a certain percentage would be in their 20s. But I would say, again, there's probably 50%, I mean, I'm just throwing numbers out, probably 50% would be at that late 40s and above age, and then probably the vast majority would be in the 30s, and then, you know, another smaller part would be in their 20s. So it it kind of varies, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of this, Howard, on the spot, but I'm trying to think through guests as I'm answering this. But I would say that it's, it's definitely a good split, but there's more that definitely that started uh, in their, I'm going to say, advanced 30s uh, and above. Right. So there's lots of hope for me yet. Woo! <laughs> I'm excited about that news, Corey. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, so in speaking about people's, you know, when they start and when and your, when you started your uh, uh, comedian 
uh, tour and life around that 25-year-old mark. Was was there something in your life, in your business, um, that either was a personal challenge or a business challenge that actually was the catalyst for, for that or another age and stage of your life where you um, had just a shift in your career that that was caused from a personal challenge or a business challenge? And, it, and just to maybe share that. Yeah, for sure. So when I think about business challenges, I feel anybody who's an entrepreneur or a business owner, uh, if they say they haven't had challenges, they're, they're probably not, um, I'm going to say they're probably not expanding their comfort zone enough because, you know, we're, we're constantly as entrepreneurs facing challenges. Some are minor, some are major, you know, some are perceived to us as minor or major. Mm-hmm. And so there's varying different levels, but I would say the one that stands out is maybe a game changer or a difference maker for me was my first business that I mentioned that I started in my late teens was a, a business publication. So for point of reference, if you picture Success Magazine in newspaper format, it was pretty much that would be a good, I'm going to say, a good feel for what my publication was like. And so I launched a publication to inspire people, to educate people, et cetera, et cetera. And what happened as a result of, so first I launched it and it went really well and had a lot of accolades and success early on because I was so young in a small town. So I was getting this, you know, this praise, uh, whether merited or not, as this person that started a business at a young age and was getting media. And, and what happened then was that all of a sudden I had this sort of, I'm going to say, false sense of success. And the business was less than a year old. And what I discovered is that after launching in the way we did, and then I had a business partner who left the business after a month, because he realized he wasn't cut out to make sales calls, which was really, really the business generator for us. And so he right. moved away, and I had to buy him out right after investing in the company. So what mm. happened as a result is within less than a year, I realized the company wasn't going to be as financially sustainable as I originally thought, and I had to make a hard decision. But I didn't want people to know that I was making that decision because I was pumped up so much, and I wanted to look like I had made the my own call to just walk away. So... That was a big moment for me to make that decision and have to cut the ties on a business that was kind of like a baby to me. So I would say that was a big moment in my life. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you started that at a very young age. Did you have any mentors or were you really just flying solo and making this up as as you went along? (laughs) You know, that's that's a great question. And I guess to answer that, I would say that I, I was in an entrepreneurial program and through that program, we had an instructor that I guess was kind of our, in some ways, our mentor within, I'm going to say, within the group. And true to form, 177 people apply for this entrepreneurial program, 10 get accepted. And the true to form part is by the end of the year, only three actually launched a business. <laughs> so, you know, much like the success ratios of business, only three launched a business out of 177 that applied. And wow. so of the three, uh, one of them ran his business for years. And then it was me and my business partner. So we definitely had him, this uh, instructor as a mentor, because he was relying on our business as being a success so that he could keep getting funding for the program in the future. So he was sort of a, a mentor to us and a go-to person, but he was, he was only, I want to say at the time, probably 26, 27, and he had never owned his own business, which, you know, we didn't really know. Uh, he went through a business uh, program at university and he had a BA, but he, he hadn't gone through the trenches. So he was kind of a mentor, but we discovered after the program, other than the structure he put together for the program, 
we weren't able to, I'm going to say, take a lot of in the trenches wisdom from him. So we didn't, we had him as a kind of a mentor early on. Uh, but, you know, we realized fairly early on as well that it wasn't going to be enough. And so we were publishing a business publication and the guy who designed it for us kind of became our mentor as well. He was a designer 30 some years in the industry as a designer. So he, I'm going to say, helped us not fall down a lot of manholes. He would have fallen down early in his career, and that probably was a saving grace in helping us get the paper off the ground and even keeping it going for a year. So it sounds like that was maybe the uh, precursor to your uh, next level in your career of just seeking out really excellent mentors to kind of just cultivate as much information as you could from. And so when we come back from the break... Uh, We're going to be asking Corey about uh, these wonderful people that he has interviewed and the things that he has learned, the trials and tribulations of maybe booking people who are really uber successful and uh, getting them to share the secrets that they have. And we're excited to, to learn about that. I think there's lots of people interested in having a really great career and things that they wouldn't even have considered. And part of um, our Uh, Hope is that people can figure out how to find mentors that are easily accessible for them. So, Corey, we're going to look to you for that information when we come back from the break. Stay with us on Master Your Life. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. How do you define work? Is it that mundane Monday through Friday place that seems to be sucking a third of your life out of you? Or have you made it a place of personal fulfillment, achievement, and purpose? If you are looking to make your work life the latter, tune in to Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. There are all kinds of inspiring work-life stories told by people who have made work something to look forward to every day. Working on Purpose can be heard every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. tuned in to master your life to reach leah mattinson or her guest please call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to leah that's l-e-a-h-a at changeyourlife.expert now back to master your life and welcome back to master your life our guest today is Corey poirier Corey is speaking with us about his business, that speaker guy, and the passioncure.com. Uh, right before the break, we were talking about Corey's um, wonderful journey as a young man raised by a single mom who was probably absolutely spectacular and who taught him tons and tons of really good stuff. 
<laughs> and uh, that he took that knowledge and uh, parlayed it into, at 19 years old, being a young entrepreneur, starting out his uh, uh, newspaper publication and learning through some trials and tribulations uh, that not all mentors are created equally and perhaps not all mentors are meant to stick around and keep you going right through all the ages and stages of your business development. And so, Corey, I just um, would love for you to pick up where we left off and just talk about how you figured out how to develop a more meaningful, comprehensive mentorship network and how then that kind of figured into your bigger business. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, I mentioned those two mentors that I had earlier on, and one was more on the technical side, of course, and as you mentioned, one you know, he was almost like the person that's reading a, a chapter ahead of you that's teaching you a course. You know, he was, I think he was only maybe a month ahead of us, uh, and we learned that early on. So it, it helped me a lot because it made me realize the importance of actually being selective about the mentors you pick. I feel sometimes when we're early on, we're kind of taught if, you know, if somebody will teach you, you should listen regardless. And, and you know, of course, there's something to the fact that you should try to learn from everybody you meet. But that doesn't mean you should engage in a mentorship protege situation with somebody who, where you might be investing as much, well, you will be investing as much time as the mentor, you know, with the wrong person. So that was probably a good learning experience for me is that, you know, you don't want to spin your wheels because you're not serving that person and they're not serving you. So I guess what happened is once I started realizing the importance of, I guess, learning from the right people and studying the right people, what happened is I started looking for mentors everywhere. So I started realizing it's bigger than just, you know, me approaching somebody and saying, hey, I've got a question for you. So it could be, and this is something we forget, I think, sometimes, too. It could be a mentor in a book I read. So it could be somebody like a Napoleon Hill who wrote Think and Grow Rich or Dale Carnegie who wrote How to Win Friends, which was the first book I read at 27. I mean, both of those gentlemen died long before my time, and yet there's nothing, there's nothing saying they can't be a mentor to me. Or I might listen to a podcast or watch a TED Talk, and they could become a mentor to me. So there's those type of mentors. But then there's the other type of mentors, which is the ones we've, I guess, brought onto our show. And, and I kind of look at it like I've been spoiled because I've been able to ask some of the best, I'm going to say some of the, the world, most world-renowned leaders in their given field, I've been able to almost ask them out for lunch. And, and, and I say ask them out for lunch even when I'm interviewing them. Get an hour or an hour and a half of their time, sometimes multiple times, and, and be able to ask them the questions that I wish I could ask my mentors and then share those answers with other people. So I kind of developed almost like a mini mentorship program where I was able to pick the brains of some of what I consider the, the world's top leaders, mm-hmm. help share that with other people exclusively, and then at the same time, they become my short-term mentors. So that sort of became my mentorship program in passing, and then... Uh, at the same time, then I also uh, brought on some more formalized mentors. I started a mastermind group where, you know, it's an equal, I'm going to say equal footing, where we're all kind of mentors and protégés to each other. And so I've really believed in this whole idea of finding mentors at various points throughout your career that can help you either personally or professionally. And, and so, like I said, what that's looked like to me is reached out to the people that I always want to pick the brains of. And now that I have a, a top-rated show, it makes it feasible and possible and at the same time, develop things like a mastermind group or inviting somebody for lunch so that I can get that in-person mentor as well. So that's kind of how I built my sort of mentorship program. Yeah, those are very good points. Um, just for our listeners, um, can you name some of the people that you have interviewed that they might have heard of? 
Yeah, for sure. So, you know, if I, I start thinking names of people that are, I'm going to say, well-known to, I'm going to say most, you know, to the average person, let's say, uh, Jack Canfield or Mark Victor Hanson we've had in the show, both separately. And so Mark and Jack are the co-creators of Chicken Soup for the Soul. I mentioned Jack earlier in passing. Uh, we've had Shailene Johnson, who's the creator of Turbo Jam. Mm-hmm. So Turbo Jam is the fitness infomercial product, if you will. Uh, also, in that same vein or world, we've had both Tony Horton and Sean T. So Tony is the creator of P90X, and Sean T is the Insanity or T25 guy. So those are three people all from the Beachbody uh, company or program that helps, uh, well, offers fitness products basically mostly through infomercials. So we've had them on the show, and they're kind of household names in that field. Uh, we've had also, we've had John Gray, so the author of Men Are Mars. Uh, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. We've had James Redfield, the author of The Celestine Prophecy, and we're actually running an ongoing series right now with James. We've had psychic medium uh, Carmel Joy Baird, who uh, hosts the show Moms of Medium, and she just recently released a book on Hay House. So those, I mean, that's top of mind. We've had Olympic gold medalists, uh, NHL hockey players, pop stars. Yeah, well, that's an impressive list. Absolutely. So from those folks, uh, have they been fairly forthcoming in the challenges that they have faced in their careers and uh, personally and professionally, and how has that helped you to uh, navigate some of the, the things that have gone on in your life or in your career? Yeah, one of the things that's really great is if you're selective in, in picking the right guest, then my experience is, and, and you'll know that from the way they write their books, if they're speakers, you know, how they share their story with other people or listen to their interviews, but if you pick the right people, then yes, absolutely, they're open to sharing their story through all the warts, as they say, and the, the low light, all the way to the highlights and milestones, and so they've been very uh, forthright. And, and, you know, shared almost, I'm going to say, in some cases, the hardest and worst parts of their journey, and even times where they've made major mistakes. I mean, we had a billionaire on the show a couple of, I guess, two years ago, and he shared how his company, he lost his 4,000-employee company because of some insider trading and, and shifty and shady stuff that was done by an employee under his watch. He didn't know what was happening, mm-hmm. but it still happened, and it brought his company down. And, you know, he shared that journey with us very openly. And, you know, we've had, I mentioned Jack Campbell. Well, Jack shared the early part of his life. And Mark Victor so much the same. And, and, you know, those are the parts of their life they shared. A lot of people wouldn't be as comfortable sharing it as they are. And I think the reason that a lot of these guests are comfortable sharing it is because they've learned that the things they're most embarrassed to say is the thing that other people need to hear the most. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, totally, totally, totally agree with that. Um, tell us about your speaking then, how that developed, and what you have got most out of that career. You know, most people's uh, biggest fear is getting up and speaking in public. Obviously, that's not yours. Uh, and, you know, certainly I can relate to the power of it. Uh, perhaps there are pe- perhaps there are people listening who who don't understand that or don't know what that's like. Can you can you elaborate on that? So for for me, I have to say first of all, Howard and and Leah, I have to say right away, as you mentioned, a big thing there is that it certainly was a problem for me the the fear of getting on a stage. It, it certainly didn't come comfortably to me. I wasn't naturally born 
a speaker. I, I interviewed somebody yesterday who we were talking about that, and he was naturally born a speaker, and he feels very blessed that he was. I mean, he was comfortable the first time he ever got on the stage. For me, my first and early speaking experiences were that of not remembering what I said. Uh, my knees were shaking and buckling. I was covered in sweat. I was a mess. I mean, that's the only way to describe it. My first three or four were disasters. So I certainly wasn't comfortable with it, but I knew and understood that the top communicators in the world were the people who also got their messages out, and they also had the biggest impact on other people's lives. So it was important for me to try, but here's the part that may be really surprising. I actually didn't overcome that fear of speaking until I jumped on the stand-up stage and, and bombed a bunch of nights. So... What's really weird is they say that, the, as you've mentioned, they say that public speaking is the number, fear, number one fear in the world about death. So the comedian Jerry Seinfeld has said that means if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. Well, stand-up comedy <laughs> is multiple levels of fear above that. So the idea that the first, how I actually conquered my fear was by jumping on a stand-up stage still blows my mind. But yes, it was, it was a major fear to me. And, you know, I still get nervous if I haven't spoken for a week, even just a week and I get back on the stage. So I want people to know, first and foremost, you don't have to be a natural speaker to get comfortable on the stage eventually. What you do have to do is you have to put in the 10,000-hour rule and actually put in the time. So, But the que bigger question, Howard, you're asking is, what did I get from it, and, and why is it important? So what I get from it is I'm able to transform and impact lives, and I say this not from a me ink statement, but from what people share with me after talk. Uh, I'm able to have an impact on lives in a way I would never, ever be able to had I not ever stepped on the stage or continued stepping on the stage. So what I get from it is knowing, I mean, it, it doesn't always work. You're not always making an impact and you're, you're not always transforming lives, but you are, I mean, even if you transform one life in an audience of a hundred, that is a powerful ripple effect that can change the world. So to know that you can reach a lot of people and have a big impact on their lives or on the, uh, an organization's structure, just to know that you're having that change in the world, and you're having that impact, that's what I get from it, and, and just the ability and, and power of sharing my story and, and hoping that maybe it reaches somebody else when they need to hear that story, and maybe it'll, it'll actually push them onto a path that's maybe a little better for them if they're not on the right path now. So that's what I get from it, and I guess why I think it's so important that we do have people that are out sharing a message from the stage it's because, really, at the end of the day, I mean, we, we have many examples to show that speakers, since the beginning of time, have, for, if they've done it for the right reasons, have actually been able to transform lives, they've been able to uh, make a, a big dent in causes they believe in, they've been able to even change the way of thought. I mean, you think of somebody like a Martin Luther King or a Gandhi, and you think of the power they were able to have by getting on a stage and speaking. So, you know, why it's important is because we can leverage speaking to uh, rally around a cause we believe in, inspire, to inspire people, to grow a business, to actually uh, follow our passion, if a speaking career is our passion, to impact somebody's life or transform an organization. I mean, speaking really opens up so many doors that I don't think a person will have outside of getting up on the stage or, or getting up in front of somebody and sharing their message publicly. Yeah, I just I just think that is absolutely beautiful and bang on. And I would love to hear one or two, just some of the really poignant times when somebody has come up to you after uh, you have given a presentation and what they've said is the impact in their life. 
So the one that pops right into my head first, more than any, I, I, you know, this one here, it's just simply because I guess of the context of how it happened, but I was, I was giving a talk and I was at, so I was giving a talk at a, at a conference called Emergent Learning. They filmed it for a, a regional TV show. So it was like it became a TV special for a little while. And so this person was in the audience. I never got to meet him in that day. But I ended up bringing him onto a radio show years later, and he told me what message spoke to him. But what was really interesting is he said it, it didn't kick him in the butt until he actually watched the, theater, the TV special. So he was in the audience, and then he watched the TV special. So he almost he had to hear it twice for it to really kick him in the butt. But he said when he first heard it, it almost took him off his chair. And what it was is it was just me sharing how I retired in my early 20s. And so what does that mean? I was giving a talk to, uh, it was a uh, financial planner or a financial services group, so you think life insurance, financial planning, and I talked about, I asked them, do you feel a person can retire in their early 20s if they haven't put away enough of an nest egg and they're not currently investing as much as they should be? And the answer, of course, was no, a resounding mm-hmm. no, and I revealed to them how you could. And what I really, what I was, the, kind of the trick, if you will, that I was alluding to is the fact that if you find your love and passion for what you're doing, then you're truly not working, and we define retiring as not working. So technically, you can retire if you find your passion and you're living it every day. And <laughs> so I shared that, and this guy shared with me years later when I was interviewing him for one of our shows, and I never, I didn't know it until the time, that it changed his way of thinking because he was looking at himself as a failure and looking at himself as, like we said earlier, that you know he was already too old to achieve a certain level of success and still have happiness doing it, and and, you know, leaving a job that he didn't like and going on to his passion area. And he went into his passion area, and what he said was, I heard this, he thought I was 18 or 19. I was actually probably 28, so I'll take it as a compliment. But he said, I heard this 18-year-old or 19-year-old talking about how he was retiring, uh, you know, just hit, about to hit 20 years of age. And he said, here I am, you know, 45, 50. And it made me realize that this guy at this young of an age can figure out how to retire based on finding his love for what he does then why can't I take the chance and pursue my journey when I have more resources and I have a family that supports me and all these things that he doesn't have? So that was a big moment just to hear him talk about how this talk five years earlier had made such an impact that he still knew exactly what was said and it, you know, and it actually, he took action on it. And then another quicker one is we had this girl that attended multiple seminars we put on as part of a series and attended one of my talks separately from that. And the talk was about, finding your passion, and then we brought in some people that talked about how you could get into the career of your choice and, and, and be able to walk away from that job that was holding you back. And so she was a single mother of three who was struggling just with paying the bills. And so the idea of going back to school and pursuing her passion just was daunting. But after she took the courses, she ended up telling me twice afterwards that she was in tears after this, during one of the sessions and then after one of the sessions because of how much it spoke to her. And then she actually pursued leaving her career and going back to school. And what she wanted to be is a, a hairstylist at a prominent salon and happy to report that within a year of her making that decision, she joined that salon. And I think we're now seven years later, and she tells me still that she loves that career and she loves every day of it. So, you know, that was for me, uh, obviously, another moment where it was just very humbling to hear that the sessions had that big of an impact on her. 
What a wonderful and inspiring uh, stories, Corey. I can tell you as a speaker myself, and Howard does speaking too, that it, it is uh, absolutely essential that we understand how much power we have to influence other people. So after the break, I am going to be excited to hear your thoughts on communication and public speaking and speaking from the stage and how other people can learn to send their message out to the world. And so with that, we'll talk to you after the break. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson or her guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Howard Rankin along with Leah Manson. And today, our great guest is Corey Poirier, who's been talking about his journey. And just before the break, he was telling us about the impact that speaking can have on on people at an individual level and an organizational level. And, you know, it's always great when you do get nice feedback. And I want to share this story with you. Uh, I did a lot of speaking, particularly on wellness and weight loss. And and often I would go back to the same venue, uh, you know, a year later. And one time I did this, and a woman came up to me and said, Dr. Rankin, you said something last year that made a huge difference to me. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, well, at least the benefit of you know, 25 years of, of training, experience, research, learning how to craft a message, um, you know, this is great. And, and she said, yeah, when you said take the salad dressing with you, it made a huge difference. So I was a little deflated. However, the fact was, you know what? The message there is you never really know exactly how people are going to pick up things. And things you may think are insignificant often aren't. I'm sure you've had that experience. And I know that you're uh, not just a student but a teacher of speaking. So I'd love to get your feedback on that, Corey. Yeah, I mean, so 
I, I mean, well, first of all, I, I, I love that you shared that story because I think that speaks to the idea that we can never take, as you mentioned, for granted that just because we say something that might not seem as, let's say, call, let's call it maybe it doesn't seem as big of a deal to us, doesn't mean it's not going to impact somebody else in a big way. You know, so, you know, in the salad dressing world, I mean, I compare it to, let's say I'm doing a talk about passion and, and within that talk, I might say something like, as an example, how you answer the phone when somebody calls or how you respond when somebody says how you're doing. You know, I always used to say that, and it's true, I always say I'm doing fantastic or world-class or some variation of that because I truly am. So it's authentically me, but at the same time, it obviously aligns well with this message of passion. You know, if you're, if you found your passion, then you're probably going to be doing fantastic or awesome or what have you. But I, I would just share that little thing that, that, let's say, to a sales group that it's important how you answer the call, and there's a big difference between saying not too bad or okay and fantastic or world-class. And so I might say something like that in a talk, and I might just blow it off as nothing big. And I remember people coming up afterwards and saying, I can't wait to join Club Fantastic. And so <laughs> they had turned it into this whole club in their mind. And I just thought of it as kind of a throwaway comment. So, you know, back to your point, Howard, is, is that, you know, it's so true that it's important for us to realize just because we say something that may not either resonate with us as much or we may have been saying it for so long that it doesn't seem that special to us or it might seem like it's not as big a thing in our arsenal doesn't mean it's not going to impact somebody else in a big way. So, you know, that's something I try to share with people whenever I'm coaching them or helping them launch into the speaking world themselves when it comes to crafting their message and sharing it. So how do you help people who are um, maybe not actually experiencing fantastic in their own lives to actually be able to get into a heart space and a head space to say, uh, hey, yeah, I am doing fantastic, even if, if that maybe isn't in alignment with what is going on in their life, because oftentimes we're having wild success and abysmal failure at the same time. So, so how do you coach people through that? So I, I guess there's a two-part answer to that. Uh, so when I say a two-part answer, one, you know, it's, I'm going to say it's a, a longer answer, so I can, you know, I'm more than happy to uh, provide details to listeners if they want to learn more about this, but I'll at least tell you the theory behind it. So the first part is I've heard people say both sides. You know, you shouldn't say you'll fake it till you make it or you shouldn't try to fake it till you make it because it's not authentic and you should be honest about how you're feeling. And then I've heard other people say, you should try to fake it till you make it because, you know, eventually that'll wear off. You know, eventually it'll wear you down. Smiling all the time, if it's, you know, if you're trying to really smile and not a phony smile, eventually you'll start thinking more positive thoughts. So first of all, I'm of the latter belief, so I do believe that even if you're not feeling the best, telling people you're doing fantastic is going to get them to say, wow, what are you on? Or, wow, that's so unique to hear. Most people just say they're doing this or that. As long as it's authentic, that's the key thing. I mean, you can't say, I'm doing fantastic. You know, it, can't be, it can't be phony. <laughs> but if it's legit, if, it, if they really can say, you know what, I'm doing fantastic. And so I guess there's, a, you know, there's another part to this. It's all about perspective. And so I will say, first of all, there's the side of faking it till you make it. So I do believe that you know, if you smile a little more, even if you're not feeling it, eventually that'll start to wear you down and eventually you'll start to feel a bit better. And then the second part is, I think that if you can look at how can I reframe the way I'm thinking, so let's say perspective. So what I'm getting at there is once you start realizing that if you work at McDonald's 
you're actually among the top 50% of the richest people in the world, then that starts changing your perspective. When you think, oh, I have it so bad because I'm, you know, I'm only making $15 an hour or whatever that might be. So if you can reframe your thinking and, and realize that if you're above ground and your heart's beating, in a lot of ways, that's a blessing. <laughs> But you have to have a reference. You have to compare it to something else, really. Not maybe another person, but something else to realize, you know what? I mean, this might be going bad, but this is still going good. So I think Mm -hmm. that's another part of it is to start looking at your life. And and, I mean, because this could be really big because I help people do gratitude journals. So part of it could be writing down what you're grateful for. So that's another part of it because that starts making you feel a little better. But then, like I said, reframing it and thinking, okay, well, this happened. However, it could be this or this happened. However, I still have all these things going for me. So I just saw somebody on Facebook today put that he uh, left his clothes in the dryer overnight in his apartment complex, and somebody stole all the clothes. And his <laughs> comment was, but you know what? I still have a beating heart. This is an opportunity for me to, to actually rebrand myself and get a new wardrobe. Exactly. So he was looking at what are the positives of this. So, you know, he's still looking glass half full, but it takes perspective. And so writing down your gratitude list allows you to compare and say, you know what? This is how it was five years ago, but these are all the things that are going right today. Or these are the things that are going wrong, but I still have these things going right. Or just I have these things going right for me. Um, but if I look at even a story from our radio show, we had a girl on whose name is uh, Candace Carnahan. And Candace had a, a workplace injury and lost one of her legs. And so she was talking about how she goes jogging and she has her prosthetic leg on. And sometimes it'll start hurting her hip from running. And so she said she, every now and then she, you know, start feeling sorry for herself because it was, it was hurting her. But then one day she ran by a guy that was in a wheelchair and she said, you know what, how much would he give to be able to still run her mm-hmm. jog or to ever have run her, you know, ran her jog. And that was able to help put it in a new perspective for her. So that would be the second thing I teach people is reframing and gratitude. And then the third thing is the one I said that takes a lot more time to explain, but just the easy version is, I teach people that lesson I mentioned earlier about finding your passion. And I believe that following that exercise, some people never find their passion in their whole life, but following this exercise will help people find it typically in months. And, you know, some people might find that's a lot of work, but again, would you rather live your whole life walking around like a zombie, unhappy, or, um, you know, spend a few months finding your passion? And you might, who knows, you might find it in a week. Uh, So those are kind of the three things I would do to help people let's say, change their mindset and start getting to a perspective where they are doing fantastic, legitimately. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think it's the default setting to live in the present and just go with what is in your head. And people don't, I think, understand or look at the big picture and the meaning of what they're doing in their lives. Um, It's just so easy to in particularly in a busy life, just to, to do one thing and the other and lose sense of, of what it really means. Uh, and I think that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really feel that, you know, like you said, it's, it's easy for us to get caught up in the, in the, the negative and, and the what, you know, what we don't have and what's not going right in our lives. But I, I really think if we are able to reframe that to see all the things we do have going for us and, and the impact we can make, if we're working in alignment with our purpose, then I feel that really is all the difference. So I'm thinking that that's probably part of your uh, speaker's training online program that you're um, going to be talking about a little later. At the end of the show, 
And so we're going to not give away too many more of those details. Uh, <laughs> however, the, uh, what we can talk about is that Corey has agreed to share with us a uh, four-minute tool, but we're giving him a little bit extra time uh, to help our audience, help our listeners to develop um, a, a, a miracle in their lives or a mini miracle in their lives. And he is going to focus today on a personal mission statement. So, Corey, I'm just going to get you to explain that, what that is and kind of take it away. So, personal mission statement. Why I wanted to share this today is because this was a, another one of those game-changer moments in my life was when I finally decided to put one together for myself. And where the thought process came from is I realized that the organizations that I work for that I would look back and say, that was a great experience, or, you know, I love that this organization stood for, I love the culture. They, they really honed in well on what their mission statement was, so they had a, a defined mission statement. And for the most part, most staff members, whether they could tell you word for word, they could tell you the meaning behind the mission statement. So where my head was at as well, if, if an organization can put together a mission statement, and it can help them be more defined and thrive and all those great things, then why can't we do it individually or as a person? So that's where the thought process came from. And so what I essentially decided to do is I decided to map out my own mission statement. So, you know, now I, when I work with people, I recommend that's one of the first things they do. And so what does that look like? Well, for me, my mission statement is pretty basic and simple, and it's not very formalized. It's simply that I want to be the guy who donates, who motivates, who inspires, who educates, and who entertains. And so those are kind of my five-point areas. And so within those five points, what's really neat about that is that it allows me to make decisions, so business decisions, more effectively. So what I mean by that is that let's say somebody asked me to take on a task or take on something new. Well, all I have to do is put it against those five and say, okay, is it going to, is it going to line up with those? So if it's going to, you know, if it's going to involve me donating, motivating, inspiring, et cetera, if it's going to be four or five of those, it's going to be one of the easiest yeses I'll ever, you know, I'll ever decide on. If it's going to be only one or two of those or zero, it's going to be an easy no without regret. So having that mission statement allows me also to decide what to take on and what not to take on and therefore be more productive. So you know, I would say to people why they should want to do this is because it'll allow you to be a lot more clear about where you're going and then also be a lot more clear with where you should be spending your time. I've learned that the, the top achievers in the world understand the power of saying no so that they can say yes a little more. So, you know, most people think you should say yes to everything and figure it out later. I believe you should say no uh, to most things so that you can say yes to the big things that matter. And having a personal mission statement will allow you to do that. So and then... You know, that, you know, I shared mine and I shared why. So how can you construct yours? Well, I really feel it's a matter of sitting down. It's not going to be easy. I mean, some companies spend thousands of dollars and, and thousands of hours of time coming up with a mission statement. I mean, yours might be easy. It might not be. But what I really feel is that it involves sitting down and determining what, you know, what is your my purpose? So what, and ask yourself that. What is my purpose? Uh, what do I want my end result to be? Where am I trying to go? You know, what do I want my path to be? And what is the, the mission that I'll have to live to make that happen? You know, so if you think of Disney, their mission statement loosely is uh, to make people happy. And you, you think about it, if your mission is to make people happy, then you know, okay, well, if I'm a staff member, my, our mission is to make people happy. If a kid drops their ice cream cone, I can replace it with another ice cream cone. 
and that's how Disney operates. So much the same, like I said, I know that I want to donate, motivate, etc. And so that's how I operate. I, I want to make sure that everything I'm doing is, is essentially covering off those areas so that I spend each day doing more of that. And so what I would say to people, I, I understand that um, Leah and Howard have been getting, uh, getting listeners to, to write in a journal. So I would say to you listeners, uh, you, know, you know, get your journal ready because I really believe if you want to take action on this, you've got to start somewhere. I mentioned people spend thousands of hours or at least uh, multiple hours coming up with a, a good mission statement. But it, it doesn't start there. There's a great, I believe it's a Zig Ziglar quote that says, you don't have to be great to get started, but you sure have to get started to be great. So you have to take <laughs> some action to make this work. And so what I would say is get into your journal and at least start that action so that eventually you'll have a great mission statement. And again, it might come to you sooner than others. But what I would suggest is what you want to put in that journal is, is you want to simply, if nothing else, write down, what do I want, you know, what do I want my values to look like? Because I believe that your mission should align with what you, you know, what, if you're doing this as an activity, what speaks to you and what aligns truly to who you are. So I, I feel you should write down a few values. So you heard me say about donating and inspiring and education. So those align well with my values. So I would write down what are some values? What are some things I believe so greatly in? What are some beliefs, things that I would argue because I believe so much in them? Write a few of those down. And I think this will help start triggering your idea about what your mission statement should be. And then what I want you to do is write down what do, you know, what do I want my end result to be? Where am I trying to get to in the first place? And then also I'd like you to write down, if you figured this out already, what's your passion and what's your purpose? So I always say that passion is what you do and purpose is why you're doing it. So in that journal, what I want you to do is write down some values. I want you to write down uh, your purpose, your passion, and what you want your end destination to be. And then what I hope will happen is it'll start triggering to you what should I want my mission statement to be. And then the final part I would say is then start maybe Googling and going online and reading some mission statements, like the Disney one I mentioned. And seeing how short these mission statements are, but how powerful they are, and then thinking, how can I take what I've written down in my journal and now convert it into a mission statement that is as powerful or similar to these ones that I've read, but also speaks to me about how I want to live my life or how I want to operate my organization or brand. So that's what I would share about creating your mission statement. Well, thank you so much, Corey. A very valuable uh, piece of information and a useful tool. And everything you shared with us today has been intelligent, insightful, and inspirational. We really thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Now, next week, we have another inspirational guest, a woman who was in a coma. And what happened to her in a coma is a miracle. It's an exposition of where the psyche meets the soul. So next week, Bob Morello. So for this week, from me, Howard Rankin, and my co-host, Leah Madison, thank you for listening to Master Your Life. We'll see you next time. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 